welcome to the History of Education Society podcast. Every month we'll be featuring interviews, ideas, thought-provoking discussions, collaborations and publications from across the field of the history of education and beyond. So today I'm joined by Tamsin Peach and Joel Barnes from the Australian Centre for Public History at the University of Technology, Sydney. We're going to talk about their work exploring the connections between the history of education and the history of knowledge. Thank you both for joining me. So briefly to start, I thought maybe it'd be a good idea to explain what we mean when we talk about the history of knowledge. It's perhaps our listeners in the, in the history of education are not particularly familiar with that term. Where would you, um, how would you define that to start with? Thanks, Bethany. Um, it's a pleasure to be here and um, thank you very much for the invitation. So the history of knowledge is a field of study that has developed in recent years in a number of centres in Switzerland, Germany, France, um, a number of the Nordic countries, especially Sweden, um, and to some extent in the United States. And it brings together a range of different fields and threads of scholarship, um, including from the history of science, the history of ideas, uh, cultural history, uh, and it also connects with the similarly quite new field of the history of the humanities. Um, for some of these fields, the history of knowledge represents a fairly subtle adjustment of existing programs of scholarship. So for the history of science, for instance, knowledge um, represents a somewhat broader object of study than science. Um, and this shift in focus tends to nullify some fairly fruitless debates about the boundaries of science where science becomes pseudoscience, non-science, and so forth. Um, and this also reflects an expansion of some of the objects of the history of science, which have, has been going on now for, for a couple of decades. For other fields which have fed into the history of knowledge, um, the history of knowledge tends to represent a more decisive shift of focus. Um, and it can be a means of providing space for the study of informal or non-systematized, non-academic, non-scientific knowledges um, outside of sometimes institutional or, or formal contexts. Um, methodologically, there tends to be a quite a clear move away from the highly textual, very close reading methods, uh, which are characteristic of traditional forms of intellectual history, uh, and a lot more focus on things like processes of the circulation of knowledge in society, how knowledge functions in people's lives. Uh, there tends to be a lot less emphasis on origins and firsts, less on the production of new knowledge, less concern with intellectual elites, um, and a lot more on movement of knowledge in society, translation of knowledge as it moves from places to place, translation uh, both literally and figuratively, um, and the ways in which knowledge is formatted by the, the media that carries it. So one of the defining features of the field, which as I said, has, has kind of um, developed out of a number of different uh, sub-disciplines, is its kind of integrative character, its, its capacity to bring scholars trained in these different sub-disciplines into dialogue with one another and to think about their points of similarity in ways that are maybe not so obvious within the usual subdisciplinary grouping. So think, for example, of hist historians of science um, and cultural historians. Maybe a lot of the time what they do doesn't seem to have very much to do with one another, 
but when you kind of reformulate their, their objects of study as as knowledge, then they they, they tend to talk to one another a lot more. Um, and there's a sort of trans temporality about that as well. It's created space for dialogue between modernists and early modernists in, in a way that, that that is otherwise not there so much. Um, I think the history of knowledge has, with a few exceptions, so far talked a little bit less to the history of education, um, but that's what we can um, talk about today. Perfect, yeah, thank you. Um, that kind of leads into my next question, actually, which is how, how you both kind of got into exploring the connections between the two fields, because that definitely sounds like something that would naturally bring out sort of a new approach to the history of, of education or, or provide us with new perspectives. So, um, yeah, what first led you to explore the connections between between the two fields? Look, I think what, what Joel and I are interested in doing, certainly what I'm interested in doing, is thinking through the tensions as well as the connections between the two fields. I mean, both uh, on the face of it take knowledge as one of the key objects of, of study or, or interested in knowledge processes and production. Uh, as a historian of, um, of universities, I've been very interested in institutions and the kinds of institutional um, systems and structures and networks that I think provide the context in which knowledge is produced and made and limit and, and, and enable that. And um, one of the frustrations I have in some ways, and I think most of us historians of education have this frustration, is that history of education can tend to be kind of put in a bit of a ghetto in terms of the other fields within the discipline, when really I think it has enormous contributions to make to understandings of power and politics and legitimation much more broadly. So for me, the history of um, knowledge was, well, first I, I've, I've I, I was very attracted to the history of science and, and its methods as one way to, to think through those broader questions around education um, and, uh, its, and the production of knowledge that happens in it. But, um, but the history of science has its own limitations and, um, and one of them I think is this um, uh, reluctance to think through institutions and the kind of boundedness of the disciplinary project. And, uh, and so the history of knowledge is interesting for me because of its purported um, ambitions to, to think beyond some of those um, bounded framings in the ways that Joel just described so well. Um, so I'm interested in history of knowledge as a kind of thing that might help open up the way historians of education think through what they do within their own field. Um, I have to say I think the history of, of knowledge is is a bit inattentive to institutions at the moment, or it has a lot of, um, that's one area in which historians of education could really bring a lot of um, disciplinary and methodological um, insight to, to the emerging field of the history of, of knowledge. But I think too, there are some places that we might not meet. And that might be something we can we can talk about later. So so you know I guess um, I guess what I'm interested in is the conversation between these two emerging or this this emerging field and the history of education, which is much more established. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That's a, a really good way of putting it. Actually, I think it would be really interesting to explore those sort of tensions as well as those connections, as you say. Leading on from that, are there any particular sort of specific concepts or methods that, that you've used or, or that you're aware of um, from the history of knowledge that you think could really, as you say, open up the, the field of the history of education or, or just be particularly useful for, for certain narratives that we already hold? 
I think some of the framings that history of knowledge uh, has absorbed and then, you know, reworked from the history of science are incredibly productive for historians of education, particularly thinking about how knowledge is produced, but more importantly, legitimated, what sits underneath knowledge claims. And that's not something I think historians of education have really engaged with. They tend to see knowledge as kind of an outcome or an object. Um, And I have to say historians of education and empire have thought through those things, and particularly those writing about education and uh, Indigenous populations, um, you know, are very attentive to questions of, of knowledge and legitimacy and um, and power. Uh, and I'm, I mean, I think we might have something to say too there about how the history of knowledge perhaps hasn't quite engaged with Indigenous knowledge as it as it might have done. But but I do think that bringing those questions to the very fore of um, history of education as it's practised in, in all sorts of contexts, not just the empire, uh, is a real contribution. Yeah, this is um, something that I think maybe builds upon what I was talking about a moment ago about that kind of integrative capacity of the history of knowledge. Um, this is something that we've, we've talked about a bit about the idea that it, it can iterate history of science questions into the history of education. Um, And also in terms of of those questions about sort of colonial knowledges, um, post-colonial knowledges, Indigenous knowledges, um, the relationship between European and non-European forms of knowledge. Um, This is something which has been, you know, a a concern of a number of historians of of, of global science and, and historians of, of colonial science for a long time in terms of um, circulation of those sort of knowledges. And some of that literature tends to be cited in the, some of the programmatic texts of, of, of the, the history of knowledge. But if you kind of look at the empirical studies uh, in terms of the, the, the objects of study, they're still very much sort of working within um, sorry, working with uh, European forms of knowledge very largely. There are a couple of exceptions. Um, but I think approaching these questions from a settler colonial context um, does mean that, that we will look at, at, at some of these questions very differently. A, a, one of the key insights as well of the history of knowledge is that knowledge, as it moves, it transforms. So it, it, it's always going to... Uh, be adapted into new um, contexts. It's going to take different forms in new contexts. Um, and we can apply that insight to the history of knowledge field as well, itself. So what does this field look like uh, when we we are thinking about it in Australian or Australasian or, or generally settler colonial context rather than European context? And in that sense, would you say, Joel, that in that sense, uh, engaging for historians of knowledge as we are working in Australia, that, um, you know, reading this literature in the history of knowledge really does prompt a kind of reflexivity around the history of education, which is useful, like there's a, a productive tension in that encounter? Yeah, I think so. I think there are tensions here and um, hopefully they're productive ones, definitely. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I wonder if maybe we could talk about something that you, you briefly mentioned earlier um, about sort of the history of formal institutions um, 
And I wondered how focusing on the history of knowledge or, or, or kind of bringing these two fields together can affect our understanding of formal institutions or, or formal um, modes of knowledge um, and how the informal can, can balance off of that. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's useful to think through um, institutions as a kind of um, organised, hugely um, authorised, socially authorised form of legitimation of a particular way of claiming and trading and circulating the certification of knowledge in specific social contexts. And sometimes those contexts um, can be translated across space and, you know, the university system and the forms of degrees that it, um, it uh, relies on, trades on, is, is one of those systems in which some, you know, forms of certified knowledge can be recognised across different contexts. But I think what I'm interested in is holding my focus on what produces that legitimacy and that that legitimacy is a social and historical um, construct. And so, you know, what we, we can think of this in a very practical way, the different kinds of disciplines that universities, you know, teach, give degrees to across time has changed. And, um, and that's a product of their, you know, ambition and expanding, um, expanding role. But it's also, it's also reflects the kind of, historical nature of those um, of that legitimacy and those those kinds of claim making and you know there was a time when you would acquire that knowledge say to be a nurse through an apprenticeship method so the ways that knowledge was um, conferred the ways you learned had a completely different structure of legitimation and so I'm interested once we start thinking about the history of knowledge you can think about institutions in slightly different ways. Now, there is a boundary between what counts as legitimate knowledge inside institutions and what counts as legitimate knowledge outside them or in a different institution. But then there's also the world of tacit knowledge where we learn things through a whole set of informal processes. And the history, history of knowledge is very interested in tacit knowledge and has done quite a bit of thinking through what that means, uh, as has the history of science, I have to say, and what is the kind of relationship between an institution that sort of relies on and sits upon and sucks out, <laughs> you know, tacit knowledge in the same way that many um, formal forms of education, particularly in colonial contexts, have relied on Indigenous knowledge or that the scientific knowledge project of the 19th century relied on Indigenous trackers and a whole set of knowledge systems that, um, that maybe don't necessarily fit really well into either institutionalised knowledge or, or, um, or tacit knowledge frames. So I guess I'm interested in institutions as these social and political and also economic phenomenon that do real legitimation work. And, um, and I think that that's true for schools and it's true for universities and it's true for technical colleges, it's true for all sorts of kinds of structures. And that as historians of education, once we go there, um, we can make new kinds of claims about how these institutions tell us something about much bigger structures in, in the world and, and not only reflect but also make um, different periodic shifts in, in kind of regimes of acknowledgement and power and, and, and control. 
So what excites you both the most about the work you're both doing um, at the moment, um, sort of about around these connections and tensions? Can you can you give any examples from some of the stuff you've worked on, on, on that you think is the most exciting or that you're most sort of um, looking forward to seeing where it goes? I mean, I'd be, um, I, I wonder if we can reframe that question. I, I'd be yeah, slightly reluctant to sort of pitch myself much in the same way Joel indicated mm-hmm. as a kind yeah. of proponent of the history of knowledge. I think... Um, I th- I think what I'm interested in doing is opening up this conversation between the history of education and the history of knowledge. And Joel and I are editing this special issue of History of Education Review as a way of doing that. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a sort of field that's sitting on the horizon and historians, much the same way that transnational history was and um, and, you know, it's a relatively small and emerging field and I know that there that there are critiques of it made by historians of science and others who who don't necessarily um, see its necessity. But, you know, I'm, I guess I'm interested in thinking through what that conversation looks like, what its boundaries are, um, and, you know, where it's, as we said, where its productive tensions are. And, and I think, um, you know, we've mentioned this a few times, but we're writing from Australia, which is, a, you know, I spent 10 years in the UK and Joel's work is on British history but um, thinking through some of these questions does look really different from Australia and you know we're talking to you now in the context of a lockdown and we're not allowed to leave the country probably for another 12 months you know there are real geographies um, that we have been forced to attend to which were always there um, but, you know, they've, they've become much more conscious now that the ease of aeroplane travel has kind of um, disappeared. And I think to one of those contexts is the nature of the settler colonial project um, and, you know, thinking through what this essentially European field uh, looks like from Australia is a really um productive and interesting conversation that's not going to result in I think the contributors to our volume who are all from those kinds of imperial post-colonial and settler colonial kind of contexts um, they're not going to take necessarily on the terms of the field without um, critically engaging with them Um, so that's the kind of and yet engaging with those with the field will produce new ways of of, of looking at the subjects that they know well. So I think there is a real um, potential there to, to both for both the history of knowledge and the history of education or these scholars working on the history of education from the kind of um, um, post-colonial global south in some contexts, but, you know, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, um, African-American context, um, India, uh, to think, to both really, uh, what am I trying to say, um, see themselves in a new way. Yeah, yes, it definitely sounds like this is a kind of a conversation that is hopefully going to lead to some some really productive, yeah, ways of, of doing of doing history um, in different in different contexts. As you say, I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. But look, that should be a conversation for British historians too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you only have to look at the work that's happening at the University of Glasgow, University of Bristol is beginning to engage in around slavery and and university legacies. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, 
the, the history of science has been thinking through the nature of the scientific projects and its entanglement with empire for decades now. And the same in many ways is, is true or can be true of aspects of education once you think about it through a knowledge lens. And so in that respect, this is not just, I don't think, an intellectual project for those located outside Britain or in its former empire. It's also an intellectual project and a challenge for British historians of education too to think through what legitimates knowledge claims and what historically has legitimated knowledge claims and what goes into that evidencing. So by the time this episode comes out, you would have run um, a seminar with the Lund University Centre for the History of Knowledge. Um, So I wonder, talking about, (laughs) well, by the time this comes out, this will have happened, but I wonder what you're hoping to get from that and and if you could talk to me a little bit about that collaboration. The the seminar um, hopefully should be uh, a really fruitful opportunity to build on um, some connections that both Tamsin and I have built with the, the Lund University History of Knowledge Group over the last couple of years. Um, and it's also, in a weird way, kind of enabled by our COVID context um, because until this year, no one or not many people, not many people I knew of, uh, were doing international seminars uh, by Zoom, but it now feels like a kind of perfectly normal thing to do. Um, so in our evening uh, and their morning, uh, we're having a, a seminar where there'll be a number of, of both uh, theoretical and empirical papers. Um, and we're thinking there about questions around what the history of knowledge can bring to history of education and then also vice versa, what the history of education can bring to the history of knowledge, and then also um, thinking through exactly these questions that that Tamsin was talking about before around place and, you know, what it means to to think about uh, some of these intellectual problems from European versus settler colonial or Australian context. And we have 90 people who have registered, uh, which I think is a real... um, sign of the of the interest in the kind of fruitful conversation that you know that might take place so that's really great and I guess some of those contributions that the contributors to the seminar will also then um, appear in the special issue that that we're putting together Um, and I think there's another journal as well a Nordic journal that is uh, also on the similar theme coming out um, in a year or so so there's a real um um, flurry of activity, and it it would it would I think it'd be of, of significant interest to members of the History of Education Society in the UK too. Yeah, yeah, certainly it seems like a, a conversation that will have really fruitful outcomes, and that a lot of people can engage with um, when thinking about their own work. Um, so actually, on that note, if there are people listening to this podcast or um, people, members of the of the History of Education Society that want to explore this a little bit more, is there anywhere you would recommend that they go or any reading in particular that you would you would flag as, as being somewhere they could start? The, so the journal special issue um, will be out. I think it's Tamsin, is it first issue? 2022. Uh, um, and I believe the uh, Nordic Journal, um, which is also running a special issue on the, the history of education and the history of knowledge, uh, will be out um, sometime that year as well. So in terms of 
printed versions of that particular scholarly exchange. Um, you know, you might be watching the space for a little while. Um, but in terms of the, uh, I suppose, the, the existing work in the history of knowledge, the, the Lund University uh, team do have a, a website that has quite a lot of resources on it, um, but a couple of special issues that they have um, put out uh, available open access online for free. Um, where else, Tamsin? Where else? Uh, well, there's the two. There are two uh, history of knowledge journals. One is called oh, Journals oh. for the History of Knowledge, and the other one um, is called Know uh, the History of Science and the History of Knowledge, um, which is itself telling. And I think it's interesting to think about. Um, you know, whenever you see journals being founded, it's a sign that there's a discipline trying to form and stake some territory. So, you know, the, the, the History of Knowledge Project is itself something that can be thought through with some of these methods. And, um, and that is why institutions do matter because, you know, journals are one of those structures and foundations that seek to make claims to legitimacy. And what we see here is a field in the process of doing that. So um, that's an interesting time to engage with it, but those those journals are kind of um, fresh off out of the blocks. So so I, I would go to them, and then the the Lund have a sort of the Lund Center have a, uh, a list of some of the key texts, and Peter Burke has a book out I think called History of Knowledge. What is, what is the knowledge? What is the history of knowledge? So if you want to start, a t- it's a tiny one of those great thin books that you can read and. Uh, in a, in an evening, um, that would be a great place to start. The um, so the journal No is I think about three years old now, um, and the other one, the journal for the history of knowledge, uh, has just published their uh, first issue earlier this year, and the first issue is basically a forum on the question of what is the history of knowledge. So they've um, brought together a number of scholars from the sort of different threads that I was talking about before. The different sort of scholarly traditions to to kind of answer that question, and of course, um, the nature of it is they all give quite different answers, and it's it's all still it's all still quite amorphous. So, yeah, I do think it's worth just saying that that mm-hmm. engaging with other fields um, forces you to ask questions about your own field, and like you know, so if someone asked you what is the history of education, what are mm-hmm. its key methodological insights? Um, you know, you might be relatively hard-pressed to, to give a succinct answer to that question, and that's probably not so bad. But I think I think that's one of the um, the great virtues of, a, of any kind of engagement outside your field, and it's why um, a kind of not a promiscuous, you know, I, I see myself sort of as a history of education, historian of education that's bringing other um um, ways of thinking into the history of education and also bringing a history of education out into other kinds of fields. And um, that's a great sort of curious way to be a historian, I think. Tamsa and Joel, thank you both so much for joining me um, for this episode. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. 